Welcome to the Quadcast, brought to you by the Mary Christie Foundation, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Foundation and the host of the Quadcast. Today's guest is Brian Mitra. Brian is the VP of Student Affairs at Kingsborough Community College in Brooklyn, New York. Brian serves as the subject matter expert for the Jed Foundation's work in community colleges. The Jed Foundation is a nonprofit organization that works directly with colleges and universities in protecting emotional health and preventing suicide for teens and young adults. We love working with Jed, and we are so glad to have Brian on the show today. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me. Earlier this month, we joined up with the American Council on Education to host a webinar exploring the links between mental health and student success at community colleges, and it featured four community college presidents from throughout the country. So, Brian, we are so glad that you're here today to talk more in-depth about some of those subjects that we explored earlier this month, really talking about the unique mental health needs of community college students pre during and post COVID-19. So again, delighted that you're here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Brian, I might ask if you would let our listeners know a little bit about what brought you to this work. So a little bit about your background. Sure. I am a son of immigrant parents, was a, a CUNY, a City University of New York alum, and I've been at the college at Kingsborough for 17 years. Really enjoy working with our community college population where they both challenge and, and really push and motivate me. I often say that I put our community college students up against anybody. They just need the support and foundation, which we provide. They are transferring to the four-year institutions. They are receiving uh, numerous prestigious scholarships like the Jack Ken Cook Scholarship and things of that nature, but they just really need that solid foundation and the starting point. They motivate me, and I think for the past 17 years, it, it's really been uh, an enjoyable experience. I was really happy to work with the Jed Foundation in terms of thinking a little bit about how the mental, mental health and student wellness aspect of our students we really, when working with our students, see that school is sometimes fourth on their priority list and really kind of thinking through their complex lives and what types of support we need to, to, to give them. It really is fruitful work. I enjoy working with Jed and kind of looking at other community colleges throughout the, the nation to examine best practices, perhaps to kind of coach and to kind of examine where supports are needed and or, you know, takeaways. So that's kind of where I'm at. Boy, that's great, Brian. Such good work. So much has been examined, I would say, in the last five, six years on the mental health of college students at four-year residential schools. But I I would say for all of us that are in college student mental health, it's fair to say not enough, it seems, has been really prioritized around the mental health needs of community college students. Why is that, do you think? Is it because these students have very different profiles? I think they, they do have different profiles. It's a credit to organizations like the Jed Foundation to see that there was a need, that students are, and the needs of community colleges and community college students are, are very different. So I think what you're seeing in the last couple of years, there's a lot more scholarship around mental health and trauma around community college students. And I think it's great that we're continuing that conversation. I think the, the reality, though, is that our students are very complex, like I mentioned before. I think perhaps the resource distribution, staffing, and things of that nature are very different at the community college level. 
levels who are often funded by state and federal funds, often subject to budget restrictions, budget cuts, and things of that nature. And our students, they're at the community college for different reasons. So it's really looking to see how we can meet students where they are rather than coming in with some generalizations or assumptions of what's needed and really kind of focusing programs and supports around what's needed for that particular student at that particular time. The mission of the community college is really to support the community. And I think our role is really to make sure that we're pivoting and really adjusting to the needs as new cadres of students come in each semester. Sometimes they're traditional students, sometimes they're career changers, sometimes they're stopouts. So it really is kind of examining who our students and their profiles are and, and making sure that we're we're able to support their needs. Right. And it seems from the work that we do that one of the challenges is the diversity, right, among the types of supports and resources that are available on community colleges throughout the country. I mean, it's it's not as standard as, say, most four-year residential schools have some form of counseling support. And where it's not 100% standard on those college campuses, it seems that the community college landscape is even more diverse in terms of what they offer and can offer. And again, funding and resources are such a big part of that. Let's talk a little bit about what you started to, to mention, which is the, the unique profile of your students and some of the unique challenges they face relative to their situations and their four-year peers. So talk a little bit about their challenges and how that affects their mental health and in turn their success at college. Absolutely. I think you brought up a, a really big key term, diversity, right? So diversity of services, but also diversity of our student population. I think what happens far too often, what you'll see in student profiles is that many students who attend community colleges are first generation, are immigrants, undocumented. So there's this stigma about what counseling, mental health, and those connotations have and mean to them. Far too often, they're discouraged in their families to seek help, to seek resources and things of that nature. So it really is trying to provide a more welcoming model of resources and student wellness services. I think even in our framing of the language, whether it's counseling services or mental health, that could already provide some pause for students to seek advice or counseling. So I think it really is starting with language and, and the language we use. So I use myself as an example. We're really trying to shift into more of the student wellness model with all these things under that umbrella. So health services, student wellness, counseling resources in our women's center. So I think that's more of a model you're seeing across the landscape. And that, that really changes the culture. Starting off in the beginning, whether it's new student orientation, our websites, our information, providing that there are resources for students to ask for help, even if it's just I'm struggling with the class or I'm overwhelmed or I'm stressed about things. I think those types of conversations are, are much easier to start rather than, you know, I'm experiencing death, loss, trauma, things of that nature. So far too often, those are the, the beginnings of deeper conversations that our students are experiencing. They are experiencing depression, anxiety, especially with COVID, isolation and things of those nature. So I think it really is about the understanding the diversity and the unique needs of the students and how do we pivot and how do we make sure that we're adhering to what those needs are. That's such a great point, Brian, because I'm, I'm thinking it seems that the irony is for the students, first-generation students, low-income students, students who have experienced everything that was thrown at them this past year with COVID, with the traumatic examples of persistent racism, with the economy, with the unemployment, it seems as though the students who need these services the most are actually the least likely to get them in terms of what you would think would be resources on campus compared to, say, some of the elite institutions. But 
That being the case, I'm very interested in your concept of having supporting mental health for community college students not just be about a robust counseling center. So talk a little bit more about that. It's about creating a culture of wellness, right? It's about a a culture that is welcoming of of people who are are, are help-seeking. Would you say that's true? Is that that what you sort of advise other schools on? Absolutely. I I think it's a a big culture shift, and, and I think it's important for colleges to recognize that that's not going to happen overnight, right? You know, it really is in buying for everyone. And I think, you know, when we talk about this culture of care, we need to work with our faculty, staff, administrators, folks from the president down to our buildings and grounds team to understand that mental health and, and student wellness is everybody's responsibility because there are going to be opportunities where the counseling or wellness staff doesn't see that right away. They're, they're the ones that get the referrals, but our faculty, our, our, our buildings and ground folks, our public safety, they're the ones that see it firsthand, right? So making sure that we have proper referral systems in place. And really, like I said before, promoting the resources, not only to students, but also to faculty and staff. So they know that there are resources available. I think the other thing that far too often what happens is that our community college wellness centers or, or, or counseling centers aren't fully staffed. There may be one person to take on this responsibility of providing support for X amount of students. There may be a referrals out to community-based organizations to supplement support. It, it really is important for us to understand those relationships and and really see how we can support and collaborate one another to really provide a more welcoming environment and and as I mentioned and as you mentioned to really shift that culture right really make it making sure that everybody understands that it's everybody's responsibility right so let's talk a little bit about a uh, sense of belonging which is so important to healthy campus communities and I know that Jed does a lot of great work in this area so I think this is related to what you're saying, but is this something that can be nurtured at community college? And is this something that you talk about and think about when you're advising other schools? Absolutely. I think far too often there's this assumption because many community colleges are commuter campuses or, you know, they have non-traditional students. There's not really an affinity to the college, but I think that, that that's not necessarily the case. There are ways to, to really create a sense of belonging, whether it's being part of a specific program, whether it's a, a specific major that you're interested in. And I think we need to really understand that that provide sense of belonging and appreciate that rather than say, you know what, there are no activities or students really don't say I'm part of X, Y, or Z community college. I think it is really creating spaces and opportunities for students to engage. And I think that's so unique with just our population because many of our students are coming in from work or going to work or working full time that they would love to engage, but they can't. Many of our students have families, they're caregivers, they're taking care of their parents, have children. So how do we create spaces for them to engage in activities? activities, whether it's a family day or things of that nature. So I think there are opportunities to do that. But I think the colleges really have to kind of think through what programs and and what the needs are of the students. And that goes back to just really understanding who your student population is, right? You know, and really kind of having that understanding that, you know what, it may have not worked this one semester, this particular program, but there are opportunities each semester because, as I mentioned before, there are so many students coming in each semester, new students that may have that want or need. And I think it really is starting more with the low-hanging fruit of a particular program. So for instance, if we have a strong athletic team or if you have a strong military and veterans presence, you know, how do you capture those types of students and, and really start the engagement opportunities there and be a little bit more intrusive and create an affinity to this office, which is part of the college. And I think that just kind of continues the conversation and really creates this culture. Yeah, and it'll be great to see sort of the fruits of those efforts in terms of 
what the students are reporting because I agree those are those are some great strategies. Sort of related question. We, we've talked about some of the challenges that this population faces, obviously, and I want to talk a little bit about COVID as well. But what are some of the unique strengths? Talk a little bit about what you as administrators might want to nurture in terms of what's really powerful and positive about your student population. Absolutely. As I mentioned before, I put our students up against anybody. They just need a chance and an opportunity. I look at my particular institution where our students come from 144 different countries speaking 74 different languages. That learning for myself is 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 great to understand why things happen or what they see and, and really kind of um, have a better understanding of how I can contribute to their success. So I think that's one one aspect of it. But I think, you know, these students are resilient. You know, they've been through many hurdles. They've had many obstacles, um, but they're still they're still pushing through. They may have stopped out for a semester. They may have emergencies come up in their lives, deaths, things of that nature, but they want to get back to school. And I think it really just speaks to who our students are. In some cases, they're more mature than your traditional age students in terms of life experiences, in terms of real world experiences. And I think that just creates an environment in the classroom where you know students are learning from each other, right? I think that's such an important aspect as well, that the learning that's not only taking place in the classroom, but outside outside of the classroom through programs and things of that nature. I think that those are some of the highlights that I think about in terms of, you know, our population and what they bring to the table. I I look at what some of our students go through and, you know, I, I often have to take a step back and say, you know, I thought I was having a bad day, but these students, you know, are doing, working full time, going to class till 10 p.m. and then picking up their child from our child care center at 10 o'clock to go ahead and, and do what they need to do to, to prepare for the next day. Those who our students are. And I think that's why it's so important for us at the community college to continue to provide services and supports to meet the needs of those students that far too often don't even tell us what's going on in their lives, right? They only come at the last resort when, something happens and an emergency happens and they can't pay for tuition or they can't pay for rent and really are now at, at really caught between a rock and a hard spot. So I think it, it really is, as we were talking about before, how do we create spaces for students just to come and have conversations? I try to do that with students all the time. I host a, a weekly drop-in with a dean, just an open space where students can come in and ask questions. And, and around COVID, I've, I've been a little bit more intrusive. I've, ho- I've hosted conversations with special populations called the Dean's Dialogues. So I I do that with our student athletes. I do that with some of our students in accessibility or the various populations just to kind of hear what's going on. So I have a better understanding. And then also, as we think about program policies and and the needs, we're able to have that perspective of the students to really kind of inform our decision making. Well, that's that's great stuff. I have to ask you about this past year and and the fall enrollment and now what you saw mid-year. Brian, are are you worried long term? That I mean, I know some some folks are talking about losing a generation because of the decline in enrollment that some community colleges are seeing, which absolutely needs to be a, a major priority uh, from a policy perspective. I would think for anyone in elected office. So, what are you experiencing there, and what are you thinking about in terms of how your students might bounce back back from this? Absolutely. March 13th will be a year of us being remote. And that was the beginning of our spring semester. So because of our schedule, we start our spring semester that first week in March or second week in March. And then we only had four days to kind of move our service to remote services. Our students, they were there to be in person. They weren't necessarily there to to take online courses or to receive resources remotely. And I think that was a big 
culture shock for all of us, right? One, how do we shift some of our resources and support services online for years saying that we couldn't do it? And then we had four days to kind of think through to do to do it, including teletherapy and things of that nature. And then I think on the other aspect of our students is coming to campus was an escape for them. They often live with extended family in small apartment buildings and things of that nature. And we have a true campus. So coming to campus was a relief. It was an opportunity for them to get away from things. And now now that was taken away. I think one of the biggest concerns I had was just the student engagement. It took four, five, sometimes eight emails or phone calls just to engage with a student. Just because life happens and school was fourth on their priority list. Now it's 10th because of all the complexities that COVID brought. So I I am very concerned about that. Many of our students didn't have devices, right? You know, laptops, iPads to do the work. So they were trying to do the work on their their phones, coupled with they may have a device, but now they don't have Wi-Fi. So how are they getting access to the internet and and being able to, to do their coursework? So I think there was a lot of learning and still a lot of learning going on with us in terms of providing support services. The reality is it was a perfect storm, right? The national trends show that enrollment was declining for community colleges and things of that nature. And now you couple that with COVID. Many students have stopped out. Many students said, you know what, this remote distance learning isn't for me. So we have to continue to, to, to do our best to continue to engage with those students who may have stopped out a semester, talk a little bit about what our reopening plans are, and kind of think through how to best help that transition back onto campus will look like. You know, it's not going to be 100% in the fall semester. It may be 20% or, or whatever the case is. So I think that those are some of the things that I think about as we we talk about how COVID has impacted our students and really how do we continue to engage. And, and I think, you know, on the flip side, what are our lessons learned, right? You know, as we get back onto campuses as, as administrators and programs, what are we keeping? There are opportunities really here as well to, to think a little bit about, you know, how did teletherapy work? How how did our Zoom information sessions and sessions work? And how can we keep that as part of our services as we return back onto campus? And Brian, it sounds like the supports, whether it be environmental or specific, around mental health and well-being will be part of that strategy, right? Will be part of what you hope will bring people back or at least keep those there that are persisting. A hundred percent. One of the things that I always talk to my staff about is that really mental health and, and student wellness is all of our responsibilities and really doing check ins with staff and things of that nature. How do we keep that as we get back onto campus? How do we keep those services and that high touch that really has allowed our students to be successful to continue as budgets decline, as hiring freezes happen and things of that nature? And I think it it is such a fine line that you have to dance and really kind of think through as an administrator, where where am I cutting to make sure that we can still provide the, the services needed to support our students around mental health and student wellness? And I think, you know, all far too often, it really is a tough conversation and, and, and tough kind of thinking through of how to best utilize a budget and respond to the other layers of being part of a system, being city funded, et cetera, that go along with it. We started talking about your role with the Jed Foundation and your ability to advise other schools about what you're seeing as best practices. And it seems to me that that's a real area of importance in terms of how we improve the mental health supports for community 
college students. So I, I love the idea that Jed is able to sort of share what's going on that's working on college campuses across the country. And I know you're a big part of that. So I mentioned also that the Mary Christie Foundation and the American Council on Education had done the webinar with the community college presidents. We're following that up with a workshop that will be specifically for folks like yourself who are working on college, community college student mental health. And Brian, I, I will put you on the spot, but you have offered to help us with putting that program together. But I, I guess I, I mention it because it's a bit of a question. Do you feel as though uh, better opportunities for best practice sharing is part of how to improve community college student support, mental health support writ large? And if so, what are the best ways of doing that. I mean, I know that you see stuff that's working. I know you've got a lot of experience on your campus. Do we need to be doing a better job of of, of sharing these strategies? I think so. And I think the, these conversations, these gatherings, convenings really do help that, right? Because it is about providing perspective. I think too often when we have these larger conversations about best practices, some folks say, okay, well, I can apply that to my college. Well, you know, sometimes we can't just because that doesn't fit our population and, and the needs of our population. So I always err on the side of caution with that. So I think when we go to uh, the various community colleges and, and colleges through our JED campus kind of work, it really is understanding who the players are, who the students are, what resources are available, what has worked well, and perhaps where are the challenges and obstacles. I think it really is just kind of providing some perspective and perhaps thinking through together some things that perhaps I've seen worked or I've heard that have worked well and perhaps trying to implement that, right? Seeing where the low-hanging fruit is, right, for opportunities for collaboration and really kind of not reinventing the wheel, but perhaps kind of streamlining services and supports to make sure that things can get to the end line. And I think that's where these conversations will lead. The reality is many of our students are transferring to the four-year schools. So the concerns that our stu- we have right now at the community college levels, those are going to be some of the similar concerns as they get to the four-year schools. And I think, you know, our colleagues at the four-year institutions need to start doing their due diligence as well in terms of understanding where their students are transferring from and perhaps some of the challenges and supports are ne- that are needed for them as they kind of make that transition from two to four years. So I think it, it, it definitely is an important conversation. And I really do applaud the continued work work together and the collaboration around that because it can't be in a vacuum. And I think I even speak to how do we invite our four-year colleagues into the conversation so there is learning there as well and really kind of talking through perhaps some of the things that we're seeing or the feedback we're getting as students transfer to the four-year institutions and, and what they're not seeing or what needs aren't met as they transition over. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating subject and one that we'd love to host a conversation around, Brian. And it's interesting because I think so many four-year schools, and I talked to a lot of presidents and student affairs students are really looking to recruit first-generation students, students of color, students who are what we would call non-traditional or post-traditional college students to their four-year programs. So sort of having a more cohesive bridge between the two years and the four years and and talking about mental health's role in that would be an interesting conversation. We hope that is one of the topics we talk about when we rope you into the workshop that we're going to do in the spring. (laughs) We're looking forward to it. So so Brian Mitra, I have to say this has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much for your time today and best of luck with your terrific work. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. And I appreciate you bringing the, the, the community college perspective onto the onto the podcast. So thank you for all that you do in terms of supporting our students to make sure that they're successful in their academic journey. Thanks so much. You take care. Thank you. 
This has been The Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Foundation. To learn more about our work, go to marychristiefoundation.org, where you can sign up for our other programs, the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. 